Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's time for another College 12-pack. I'm your host, Pat Tom, senior editor of the College Wires. With me, as always, Tyler Natuno of LSU Tigers Wire. Uh, for the first time, Tyler, we're coming, we're coming to the fans a little earlier in the week than normal as we recap the weekend that was the wild weekend that was. Uh, but before we even get into the games that happens, there's a big story around college football that we kind of need to address. Uh, not that I want to address it, but it is a big story. Uh, a report came out, uh, you know, late Saturday night, about, I guess, after midnight. So it's really early Sunday morning with uh, the in a report about Mel Tucker being investigated for sexual harassment dating back to December of 2022. The interesting part here uh, in the investigative report from USA Today Sports uh, is that the complainant, the complaint is from Brenda Tracy. And if you are familiar with her, she, she was a rape, a rape victim in 1998 who turned activist and now uh, is alleging that Mel Tucker, the head coach, uh, Mississippi, or I'm sorry, Michigan State, is uh, she accused him of sexual harassment, and now he has been suspended without pay pending an investigation. And they also have a Title IX hearing, according to this report, uh, for October. Is it is it shocking that we're just now finding out about something that uh, took place back in December? Yeah, I think when it comes to all of this, I think we just have a lot of questions for uh, for Michigan State about the timeline, about what they knew when they knew it, um, about you know why we're hearing about these things now as opposed to earlier in the investigative process. I mean, look, I think that. I mean, first of all, like if you don't, I mean, if you're not familiar, like you said, if you're not familiar with Brenda Tracy, I mean, she's probably like the premier um, activist when it comes to like you know, uh, preventing sexual harassment and violence on college campuses with college athletes specifically. I mean, the accusations against Tucker are really bad here. Um, it's hard to justify, I mean, impossible to justify, it, it, impossible to understand what was going through his head if, if, it, if it's true. Um, and look, so it was initially reported when they would go to have that press conference yesterday that uh, he was fired. That wasn't the case. Um, he suspended indefinitely without pay, like you said. Which I expected because, um, you know, spoiler spoiler alert here, they're going to try to fire him for cause um, and get out of that like $80 million buyout. So to do that, they're going to need to wait until, you know, the, the results of the investigation are finalized so they can sort of, uh, you know, have a united front when they go to go to try to make that move. So that's what I expect. That's how I expect this to end. That's what I think this is going. Uh, but for now, that's where we are. Yeah, it, it is unfortunate, like you said. And I mean, these situations have to be taken seriously and I, and I applaud them for doing that but the one thing that is is curious about it, it's just interesting of the timing not necessarily the investigation not necessarily the hearing that's scheduled to take place in october my question is why are we why did they wait until this investigative report came out from usa today sports 
for them to suspend Mel Tucker if they knew all of this information? That that's my big question: why it was taking so long. But we all know that these, a lot of times in these situations, we've seen it time and time again, where they won't actually suspend or uh, discipline anyone until after it's brought to light. Uh, you know, in, in the public eye, and, and we know how the, the court of public opinion is. Uh, but moving right along, we're going to dive into these games this weekend. Tyler, let's start with the game that you called. You said it was going to happen. Texas is back. They, they beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa in a game that, you know, Texas looked like they had control for most of the game. Third quarter, Alabama makes a rally, takes the lead, and then Texas just takes off again, dominates the fourth quarter. Quinn Ewers, 6 of 7, 135 yards, two touchdowns, both to A.D. Mitchell, who transferred in from Georgia. Uh, but really, you have to applaud Texas. And I, I, I'm really surprised at how inept Alabama looked on offense at times. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm just going to take my victory lap here for a second. Yeah, I mean, I, I did call this one with my bold prediction last week. Um, I wasn't super confident in that pick, to be quite honest with you. But, I mean, Texas – I mean, I'll just say it. They're back. It's I mean, I don't it's not even a joke anymore. They're back. Um, you know, the way they played in that game. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian, I don't think gets enough credit for how good of an offensive mind he is. Um, and with the weapons he has on that roster, he can really take advantage of the stuff he's able to do schematically. And it was something to watch against that Alabama defense. I mean, like you said, Quinn Ewers was fantastic in this game. Um, and I think. You know, they are a legitimate, you know, going into the year, I thought they were the best team in the Big 12. I didn't really think they were a playoff team. Um, I'm, it's time to reconsider that. This looks like it could be one of the best teams in the entire country. I think looking at the Alabama side, I, I don't want, I, I'm not saying the dynasty is dead now, but I think this is yet another sign that we're starting to see, you know, we're starting to see the end. Like the, the cracks are beginning to form. You know, Alabama lost this game to a Texas team that, had a lot of flaws, like for how well Texas played and how much I thought they were the best team from start to finish, pretty much. They had a lot of mistakes in this game that gave Alabama opportunities to get back in it. Previous Alabama teams would have taken advantage of those. I mean, you kind of got the feeling like, oh, here they go. They're about to do it. They never did. They never did. And I think that that to me is kind of a telltale sign that this might not be the program it once was. The quarterback situation was always the question, whether it was Jalen Milrow, Tyler Buckner, uh, you know, Ty Simpson, or one of the two freshmen that they brought in, likely neither one of those freshmen were going to get the start. Jalen Milrow seemed like the best option, but I feel like he is a liability at the quarterback position. And ultimately, it cost them a game. They weren't able to put enough offense on the field, and, and ultimately we saw Texas win that game. And now uh, the college football picture after two weeks, who knew? Florida State and Texas were going to be among the teams that everybody's going to be talking about in the top four. Is it really early? Yes, it is, but we love talking about these things. So Texas is back in the playoff picture or in the playoff picture for the first time. We'll see how long it lasts. Uh, they definitely have some opportunities to show that the, they belong in the conversation. But right now, Texas looks like the, the best team in the Big 12, and, and they took down their – Future SEC opponent, SEC brothers, Alabama, in Tuscaloosa. That was interesting. Uh, sticking in the SEC, now there's another Texas team. We're going to talk about Texas A&M, who did look so great. They started off good. Don't get me wrong. They did start off good. But then Tyler Van Dyke in Miami proved that they are, once again, back. Well, back in the top 25. 
You look at what they were able to do with Tyler Van Dyke, threw him for five touchdowns, 374 yards. Jacoby George couldn't be stopped. They had a kick return for a touchdown as well. Really, right now, when you look at this, this was a little bit surprising. And, you know, and, and I'm going to take my victory lap here because when, when people talk about how A&M looked, I said pump the brakes. It was just New Mexico. Uh, but when they had to go up against another Power 5 opponent in Miami, who we were waiting for them to come around as well, they proved that they were just better on this day. And, and really, you can go back and look at the way that Tyler Van Dyke played, and he really led this team and willed them to a victory. Yeah, um, you know, I'll get to AM in a second. I think uh, looking at the Miami side, I mean, really impressed, honestly, uh, with the way Mario Cristobal's team played in this game. Um, I thought the offense was specifically really, really good. Um, and Tyler Van Dyke was fantastic. You know, a guy that showed a lot of impressive signs down the stretch in 2021, had a rough year last year um, with Josh Gaddis and, and Cristobal's first year. Looks like this offense is maybe taking a leap, though. I mean, you know, took care of business against Miami, Ohio week one, like whatever. But beating this A&M team who, you know, obviously, as we'll get to, has some problems. But I think that they're obviously still a very talented team. It says a lot for, I think, where Miami's at. It's something of a signature win for Mario Cristobal. I mean, we'll see how good of of a win it ends up being when it's all said and done. But I think regardless, you know, this is a team that you feel like you should have beaten last year. You lost to them last year. To get this win is a really big deal, I think. And then to look at the Texas A&M side, I mean, this just looks like the same old, same old, honestly. I mean, the offense with Bobby Petrino, maybe he's calling plays. I don't know, but if he is, it's not really making a considerable difference. I mean, it still feels like this team's not taking advantage of the talent it has, you know, with like guys like Connor Wigman and Evan Stewart. You know, Wigman made a couple mistakes in this game. Just they're asking him to do a lot. It doesn't look good. Everything about A&M looked like the A&M team that went five and seven last year. And that's pretty concerning, I think. Yeah, you look at it, and like you said, you know, you know, like I said earlier about last week and how they look. Yeah, they looked great against Mexico, but when it comes down to playing the premier talents, I mean, obviously a, a team like Miami who's talented, they had a lot of trouble with. And, again, those, those mistakes add up. There wasn't much of a running game. They were able to run the ball a little bit, but it wasn't a sustained running game. Uh, outside of Evan Stewart, I kind of felt like their passing game was mediocre at best. And so when you don't have those big play opportunities, this offense is going to hurt. They're going to struggle. And Miami showed it. And even when A&M had a chance to get back in this game, Miami ran away with it again. And that's why when I look at that game, I feel a lot better about Miami uh, going into this game. And I still feel that way than I did about Texas A&M. And and the proof is in the pudding, as we saw. Uh, One team that I had a big question about, is Notre Dame legit? And I have to say, yes, they are. Based on what they were able to do against North Carolina State, even after that weather delay. But you know what? A lot of people are going to talk about Sam Hartman. But I think the uh, stable of running backs is why Notre Dame looks like the real deal and why they could be you know, making their push for the college football playoff this year. Uh, but it doesn't hurt when you have a quarterback of, of Sam Hartman's caliber. Uh, leading the way yeah no I agree I mean I think we'll see how good NC State ends up being but regardless you know for Notre Dame this is definitely your you know a real test against a power five team on the road dealing with a lengthy weather delay those are all you know it's all good things that's adversity you like to see the offense handle it I mean I think it's pretty clear that Sam Hartman takes this team to a level offensively that it hasn't been at in a really long time I mean I'm, I'm struggling to even think of 
uh, the last time a Notre Dame offense had this kind of potential just because of what he can do, you know, where he can put the ball, those deep downfield plays. He really opens up the passing game a lot. And like you said, they have really good running backs too with guys like Audric Estime. Like they've got, this is, this is a really, really talented offense. And I think it's a little surprising to be honest that Marcus Freeman, a defensive guy has put together such, such an, uh, you know, promising offense at Notre Dame in year two, but It'll really be interesting to watch. I think this is a really good team. And when they play teams like Clemson as the year goes on, I think we'll really see, um, you know, how good they are. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it is surprising, especially considering the problems that they had going in the offseason where you're talking about trying to get the offensive coordinator uh, situation taken care of. You know, they there were some guys that they were linked to, but then they didn't want to leave like at Utah. And a lot was made of it, and they kind of had to go with who was already in-house. But it, it seems to have worked itself out, at least in the early going, and we'll find out as the games move on. Now let's talk about the Oregon Ducks. Uh, you know, they're a team that we expect a lot of. Now they had to go to Lubbock, night game. Those can be kind of hairy uh, when you're playing Lubbock in Lubbock at night. Now what they were able to do uh, was get the win. You know, they, they win this game 38-30, to 30, taking advantage of some mistakes. And I will say this, it took four years, but Tyler Shug finally led the Oregon Ducks to a road game. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think, like, obviously it's hard to take, like, moral victories and stuff. But, like, I think for Tech, like, being 0-2 sucks in this situation. But I think that they're going to be okay um, under Joe McGuire. Like, I think that – this was an impressive game. I thought that they played pretty well, you know, had, had real chances to win this game. Um, obviously turnovers from Tyler Shuck kind of, kind of cost them at the end. Um, but I think, I think it was a good, a good game. And I think I'll be interested to see what Texas tech can do when they start facing big 12 teams. I mean, I think week one was kind of an anomaly. That's just a weird road game to have to play at Wyoming. And then you just almost beat a really good Oregon team in your own, uh, own stadium. So I think there's reasons for optimism there. I mean, on the Oregon side, I think, I'd be a little bit concerned. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, kind of knew this was going to be a potentially weird game going on the road for against a uh, night game in Lubbock. But I think I'd be a little bit concerned, especially because, as we're going to get to, uh, the big test coming up in two weeks is potentially when a possibly 3-0 and Colorado team comes to town uh, for a matchup between teams that could be ranked in the top 15 by then. So, I, I mean, if I'm Oregon, that's kind of what I'm thinking about is, you know, how am I going to improve between now and then? Because I think what Colorado is going to do to test that defense is going to be a lot more than what Tyler Shuck and, and the Red Raiders did. Yeah, when you look at the way that Tyler Shuck played, and he had over 100 yards rushing. He threw for over 300 yards. And Shadur Sanders is, is a lot more athletic, and he's going to be able to run the football even better. Um, there, and I, I would say that that's going to put a lot of pressure in some of the things that they do with the misdirection all the different uh, ways that they can attack the defense. That's There are going to be a lot of questions. And you're really worried about that secondary and how they can hold up against a guy like Travis Hunter, uh, like Horn Jr. I mean, they have got plenty of pass catches on that side of the ball. Um, that will put Oregon to the test. But ultimately, you had to like what they did, especially when you factor in late in that game. Defense needs to, to hold. Yeah, Tyler Shuck made some mistake with the interception. Uh, they return it for a touchdown to kind of steal that game. And then they get an interception as time expires to put the exclamation point on it. They went into a hostile environment and won, so they, you really have to like that. And I agree. I think Texas Tech will be fine. Um, I do think that they'll start winning some games, and, and especially in Big 12 play. Next week is pretty much a gimme game for them. So we'll kind of see how they operate 
Uh, sticking in the Big 12, we have Oklahoma. Now, Oklahoma was in a dogfight with SMU, which is a little surprising considering what we saw from Oklahoma's offense the week prior. Um, they score 14 points early, and then they don't really score until the fourth quarter when the game got to 14 to 11. Uh, defensively, I thought Oklahoma did a really good job of, you know, just holding the fort down until the offense could take off. Uh, and then there was something on the sideline after the game that we're going to get to in a minute. Uh, I know you have some thoughts on that. But ultimately, looking at Oklahoma, I felt like last year this would have been a game they lost. Uh, but this year it seemed like they were able to, they were able to hold it down and ultimately get that win. The final score wasn't indicative of how close this game actually was. Yeah, I credit the defense. You know, I think we've talked a lot preseason about how many questions we had about this defense going into year two under Brett Venables. And, I mean, we don't know quite yet. You know, SMU, obviously a team that lost Tanner Mordecai to the transfer portal and stuff. Uh, so, you know, not exactly running it back. But, you know, a team that we expected would be pretty good on offense. Um, they, they kept them in check, held them to 11 points. That's 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 all good. Um, I think, like you said, the offensive performance kind of left a little bit to be desired. I, I'm interested, you know, Dylan Gabriel had four touchdowns in this game, but he also wasn't, like, super efficient. Um, in week one, Jackson Arnold, a, a you know, former five-star they've got his backup, was like 11 for 11, looked really good. So curious if they, you know, maybe a space to watch if if they continue to have some offensive struggles against better teams. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of – I thought it was an overall pretty impressive win. It was a pretty impressive win. Now, the thing on the sideline I wanted to refer uh, – that we were referring to, uh, Art Bryles decked out in Oklahoma gear was on the sideline after the game. The uh, athletic director obviously didn't like it, and it had, he said it will be addressed. The head coach says it will be addressed. And if you didn't know, Art Bryles is the father-in-law of offensive coordinator Jeff Levy. And, he, you know, he ultimately said, hey, this is, you know, my kid's grandfather. Uh, you know, they're going to have him around. But to me, it doesn't really sit well to have Art Bryles known for what he's known for, uh, you know, at, at Baylor, being on the sideline at a game. And, and obviously a lot of people took offense to this. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, this just shouldn't have happened. Um, there's no excuse for it. Art Bryles is Art Bryles is a pariah. He should be a pariah. He should be an outcast from the sport. He should never be welcomed into the sport in any official capacity. He should not appear publicly. He should not be on the field. He should not be doing any of these things. He shouldn't be in the Instagram profile picture of the sitting offensive coordinator. I don't care that it's his son-in-law. Look, it's unbelievable to me how many people were allowed to continue their careers in college coaching after the Art Ryle situation. He was really like the only one that, 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 you know, got blacklisted because of it. I mean, his son, Kendall is currently the offensive coordinator at TCU was previously at Arkansas and Jeff Levy, who was on that staff is currently the OC at, at uh, Oklahoma, or Oklahoma and keeps getting these jobs. These people shouldn't be getting these jobs in the first place. I, I mean, I will just go ahead and say that Jeff Levy shouldn't have this job. Jeff Levy shouldn't have a job in college sports for being around the Baylor situation, but he does. And the fact that he does and continues to be in these positions and then will still, you know, do something like bringing our Bryles and brushing it off when he's questioned about it. Look, I understand it's his father-in-law. That's not the point here. The point here is that this just can't be allowed to happen. And obviously it's something that Oklahoma knew was a possibility because when asked about it, Brett Venables and the athletic director, you know, they, they talked about it violating boundaries that were previously set in place for Levy. So they knew that, you know, this was always a possibility when hiring him. So this is a failure on Oklahoma's part to not be able to see this coming. This is a failure on Levy's part to allow our Bryles to be there. I mean, this is just a failure all around. 
Awareness, negative 100 for Jeff Levy, uh, allowing our brows to be around the program. I agree with you 100%, Tyler. This, this is one thing I don't think that there's a place for. I don't think that Bryle's son should be coaching. I don't think Levy should be coaching either. Uh, it's one just it was apprehensible uh, of what went on in Waco and went on for so long unchecked. And the only person seems to have had any punishment at all was our Bryle. All right, moving on. We have Colorado. We talked about Colorado last week. We're going to talk about them again this week. Uh, you know, a game against Nebraska, this goes back to their Big 12, Big 8 rivalry games. A lot of great games in the series. This was an opportunity for two first-year head coaches. You had Matt Rule versus Deion Sanders. A lot was said about this game. And early on, it was it was tight. I mean, you saw, you know, late into the second quarter, nothing-nothing ball game, and then – the floodgates opened and Colorado ran away with this game just shows you how quickly they can, they can jump on a team despite how their defense was able to slow them down early on. Yeah. Um, so this was my lock of the week for Colorado winning. And honestly, the game pretty much played out almost exactly like I thought it would. Um, you know, I thought that Nebraska would come out with a much better game plan than TCU did for slowing down this team, which was the case. They did. Nebraska has a better defense, and they did, uh, you know, hold Colorado in check, at least more so in the first half than TCU did. You know, this was kind of a dogfight uh, at the beginning of the game. And also what Nebraska tried to do that that uh, TCU wasn't really able to was run the ball. You know, they, they that's, you know, that's Colorado's weakness is in the trenches. Um, you know, they've got the talent, the skill positions uh, in the secondary. But if you can run the ball on them, you have a chance. And that's what uh, Nebraska tried to do. Unfortunately, Jeff Sims just really um, is not it, I don't think, at Nebraska. Um, you know, he struggles with turnovers, doesn't really move the ball. I, I just don't think – and that's what I said last week on the preview is I don't think they had the offense to keep up in a shootout, which is what this ultimately turned into, and that allowed Colorado to pull away. I mean, they were the better team, but, I mean, I do think this was a tougher test uh, than TCU was in a lot of ways. They should take care of business against Colorado State next week. Pretty bad Colorado State team. And then they're heading to Eugene, possibly three and out. So uh, very interesting. Yes, interesting uh, is, the, is the right word there, I think. And really, it's more of a tune-up game next week. But, yeah, when you look at it, Jeff Sims in, in Nebraska, just the offense not, not clicking. Uh, you know, they scored 10 points the first game. They scored a little bit more. This this last time against Colorado, but offensively, I just don't think that they're right where they need to be, uh, and they're a team that's going to struggle. I think throughout the year, uh, they're going to have to figure out something on the quarterback side. I agree with you. Jeff Sims is having trouble uh, really executing the offense to what Matt Rule wants, but we also know this is not a year one thing. They're not going to be able just to walk in and change it. And even when Matt Rule went to Baylor, it wasn't a year one turnaround. It took some time to get some guys in there. Uh, but let's talk about another game. Last week, Rice gave Texas spits at times. Uh, but the interesting part is this week when they were playing their crosstown rivals in Houston, the Houston Cougars, they jumped out to a 28 nothing lead, squandered that lead, went to overtime, but were able to hold off and beat Houston, which was shocking in and itself. Now, Houston is a team that we thought was going to be pretty good. They were good last year. Coming to the Big 12, they thought we were going to be pretty good. Now, they lose Clayton Toon. They add Donovan Smith at quarterback. And while he was very – he was key in this game, three touchdowns, 
uh, or two touchdowns by Donovan Smith in the fourth quarter to really get them to overtime. And it, it just wasn't enough. But how concerned are you with Houston right now? I mean, it, Houston, we have a problem. Uh, is is definitely there's definitely cause for concern here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think first of all, there's a really brutal way to lose a football game um, if you're Houston. So you know, like you said, go down twenty eight nothing. I'll be honest, I I didn't even realize the game that this turned into because with some of the other games on, I just stopped paying attention to this one when it got to twenty eight nothing. I was like, that's curtains, it's over. Uh, Houston came back, forced double overtime, still fall. Really bad, really bad loss for Dana Holgerson. I mean, you can't lose to Rice at Houston. You just can't. That's that's the kind of game that the big money people there just will not put up with uh, you losing, especially the way you did. I mean, JT Daniels kind of torched you. Um, so that, that's that's concerning. And, you know, when you look, they, they played a pretty tight game against a UTSA team that I think through two weeks looks like it might have some problems. Doesn't quite look as good to me as we were anticipating. So that win might not have been as impressive as we thought it could have been at the time. Now you drop this game to Rice. I mean, does this? I mean, this is going to be one of the worst teams in the Big Twelve. It looks like Dana has is really, aside from one season, been pretty middling at Houston. I think, barring some sort of like momentum, momentous win, like upsetting Texas or something like that, I think Dana's probably going to be in serious trouble. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you look at. Again, JT Daniels, like you said, threw for 400 yards in that game. Couple touchdowns or three touchdowns in the game, really helping them win. Luke McCaffrey was his best receiver in this game. You know, it's it's really interesting to see how bad Houston is. And I think you're right. Uh, you look at them. Uh, you know, they have. You know, they're they're one and one. They did beat UTSA, uh, but they look worse than a team like Texas Tech, who's zero and two. Uh, oh, and they'll meet up here in a couple of weeks. So. That'll be really interesting to see who kind of has the edge there. Uh, but you're right. I, you know, I thought looking at the Big 12, the first head coach to be fired would probably be Neil. Uh, you look at Neil Brown and the way that things are going at, at West Virginia. He got a big win, obviously, against Duquesne. But uh, maybe Dana should be more worried than Neil Brown. And, and we'll see that matchup coming as well. So it'll be really interesting to see. But, you know, kudos to Rice for, for pulling off that win. Uh, against a Power 5 opponent. Uh, now we have USC, who I know I think everybody's ready to watch USC play a bigger game. Uh, we want to see them play somebody who's going to give them a fight. Uh, because if you look at what they did to Stanford, uh, Ken Williams just do whatever he wanted in that game. I mean, but I think we both agree, Tyler, Stanford's not a team that we expect to do a whole lot. I mean, it might be entertaining with a new head coach, Troy Taylor, but – they're not going to challenge the USC. So uh, kudos once again to USC for taking care of business, but I'm ready to see USC actually play somebody. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I didn't really expect Stanford to challenge USC in this game. I expected it would be a little bit closer than it was though, to be quite honest with you. I mean, my look, the takeaway here is that Caleb Williams is just him. I mean, he, that dude should just not be playing in college football. He, he belongs in the NFL right now. Um, he'll be there very soon. Uh, if he actually comes back to college football next year, like he's said he might, uh, I can't even imagine the things he'll do. I mean, this guy's really special. I think USC has a lot of problems as a team potentially that that will get exposed as the year goes on. But 
man, Caleb Williams is so good. He's going to keep them in every game. Um, and I think he has a good chance of becoming the second player uh, to win the Heisman uh, twice. We'll see. I mean, there's obviously a lot of good candidates this year. Great quarterback class this season. But <laughs> Caleb Williams is pacing them all right now. I mean, we'll see if that changes. But I mean, Caleb just had to play a good half, and he was done. You know, 49-3 to three at halftime. Really not much more he needed to do beyond that, but you're right. And, you know, Caleb's dad did come out and talk with GQ and saying that he may not go to the NFL next year. Uh, if that's the case, if he wins twice, the Heisman twice, maybe we could get our first ever three-peat at the Heisman. But I'm not exactly sure that I buy into that. Uh, if you have the opportunity to go to the NFL, number one overall pick, I feel like it's going to happen. Uh, but, again, like I said, USC, I'm looking forward to seeing them play – somebody other than what we've seen the last three weeks. Uh, but let's talk about Ole Miss. Now, Tyler, this was my lock of the week. I had Ole Miss winning this game. I was a little nervous until I heard that Michael Pratt wasn't playing. Then my lock became, okay, I feel pretty good about this. And despite that, Ole Miss still played a tight game for most of it against Tulane until they were able to pull away late. Uh, but, you know, again, kudos to Ole Miss for winning a game uh, that they should win, not only because of, you know, they're playing a G5, but also because they didn't have their starting quarterback. Uh, it, it really would have been a smack in the face to, to Lane Kiffin had Tulane won this game without their, their star quarterback. Yeah, I picked Tulane in this game. Um, I did that before uh, it was publicly not public knowledge that Michael Pratt wasn't going to play. Um and I think had he played, this would have been a tighter game. They might have been able to pull it off just given the way that they played, especially in like the first half. I do think, though, that Kai Horton, the backup, I thought he had a pretty good game, all things considered, coming in against an SEC team. Um, there wasn't really a, a massive drop-off on offense, I didn't think. Um, you know, just defensively, Ole Miss ultimately pulled away in this game. I, I think, you know, I, I hinted at maybe a potential quarterback controversy on the show last week. I don't I don't think that's happening. Um, I think Jackson Dart's kind of got this thing locked down. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, with a guy that's experienced, like Spencer Sanders waiting in the wings, you know, could always, you know, the leash might be a little shorter than normal. But I, I think that he kind of solidified that uh, with that win on Saturday. But a huge win for Lane Kiffin, you know, has kind of struggled in some of those bigger games. I mean, not that Tulane's like a world-beater opponent, but ranked team on the road, team that won a New Year's Six game last year, it's good progress, um, especially in an SEC West that looks like it could be wide open. I mean, if there's a year where – a non-Alabama, a non-LSU is going to win this division. It, it's probably this year. Yeah, you really have to like the way Ole Miss plays on offense when you got Quinshawn Judkins who you can hand it off to. You throw it to Trey Harris, uh, Michael Trigg, the former USC tight end. They, they've got plenty of weapons, so they've got all the offensive weapons that they need. It's really a question of how can their defense hold up. Um, they did hold up in this game. And we'll see as they get into that SEC schedule and playing in the Alabamas, the LSUs, and see if they can hold on to that. Uh, but once again, Appalachian State's given North Carolina all they can handle and more. Another overtime game with the Tar Heels. However, North Carolina was able to hold them off once again. But it, it almost feels like eventually North Carolina and some of these other big schools are going to stop wanting to schedule Appalachian State considering the fact that they always give these teams trouble. Yeah, you, you would think, you would certainly think at some point. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, little known piece of trivia. There's actually a, a statute in the state of North Carolina that says whenever these two teams play, um, it has to be off the wall, completely insane. So yeah, this game goes to goes to double OT. Um, you know, it was kind of weird because it was like a low scoring game offensively. We didn't really expect that, uh, and then it just kind of blew up at the end. You know, I thought that Drake May had some mistakes in this game, but kind of ultimately led the comeback. I mean, it wasn't to me an overall particularly impressive game for North Carolina because I, I don't know how, what to make of App State. I mean, obviously, they're, you know, a relatively tough G5. That's a game that they really wanted to win with the in-state, you know, uh, a rivalry and stuff. But I'd be a little bit concerned, especially with just how good teams like FSU have looked, you know, even teams like Duke have looked. Yes, especially Duke. I think, yeah. you know, with the way that Riley Leonard plays, the way they play defensively, you know, I had my questions. You know, I, I, I really looked at the South Carolina game and go, okay, well, maybe North Carolina found out some things about their defense. But then you look at this game against Appalachian State, and now I have those same questions once again. Uh, and we'll find out how good they are. I mean, we know that North Carolina has the talent. It's just can they pull it off? And that, that's my big question. But sticking in the ACC – there's a team that's got a lot of questions. Uh, Virginia. They just lost to a team. And James Madison, who, don't get me wrong, our talented team, but they only came up to the FBS level last year. Um, and they made some noise in year one. But, again, Virginia losing to James Madison in the way that they lost, giving up a score with 55 seconds left to lose that one. I mean, that's a. this is a game I, I, don't, I don't care who the – power five team is a team like Virginia can't lose this football game. Yeah. Um, I just, when we're talking about Virginia, I just want to kind of couch everything uh, in the context because I think it's important. You know, this is a program that today, or sorry, uh, Saturday was its first uh, home game since the the tragic shooting last year that, that took the lives of mm-hmm. players on the team. Um, and obviously it was also uh, the first game that Mike Hollins, the running back who survived the shooting, uh, he scored a touchdown, his first touchdown since returning. So, just a lot of emotions going on. Um, not in this game, in the game last week against Tennessee. Um, just everything that happens this year on the field for Virginia, I think, is going to be overshadowed and sort of colored by that. And not only that, but the leadership Tony Elliott, that the coach, uh, showed in the wake of it. I don't think that this is a team that's really evaluating football stuff that much this year, uh, certainly less so than their in-state rival who also had a, in Virginia Tech, who also had a tough year one uh, with Brent Pry. I just, I, I, you know, I think that obviously a tough loss to lose to an in-state team. It's a good one. Uh, you don't want to see it, but I just, I just don't know if we're at a point yet where we're really going to be talking like critically about Tony Elliott and the football side of things for Virginia. And on the James Madison side, I just want to say, this team should be bowl eligible. It's a joke that they can't. It's a joke that they can't win the Sun Belt. It's a joke they can't go to a bowl game. This is one of the best teams in the entire G five. Yeah, I think it's it's very important to know when I when I talk about can't lose a football game, I don't mean for Tony Elliott's job to be in question because I don't think it is. Um, but yeah, with that bump that you got, you know, with Mike Collins, and not only did he score a touchdown, he scored two in this game. Um, you know, so it was, it was a big deal for him to be not only just being able to be on the field, but contributing in the way that he is, you know, is a testament to him. Uh, but really when it comes down to it, like these are the games that you're expected to win, the money games that you're paying these schools that they use to bankroll their athletic department for an entire season. So when I look at that, that's really where I'm coming from, Tyler, and not so much uh, the fact that I'm looking at Tony Elliott thinking, hey, buddy, your job's on the line here. 
Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I agree with you. I, I think like this is the kind of game that is frustrating. I just don't know if it's the kind of game that Virginia is going to kind of like make evaluations based on for a while down the line. I think we're kind of a bit, a bit removed from doing that. Absolutely. Now that's going to do it for this edition of the college 12 pack. Now we will be back on Thursday to preview some more games. Uh, we're going to preview the week three slate. Tyler, is there any games that you're looking forward to this week? Uh, there's one that, you know, usually happens during the third Saturday in September that I'm a little bit interested in. If you can, if you can tell, pick pointed the wrong finger, but you know, if you can, if you can tell, we got Florida, Tennessee this coming weekend. Very excited about that one. Also that, that LSU open and SEC play. So that is a big game. Uh, always Florida, Tennessee, uh, you know, in recent years, it wasn't always a game that a lot of people looked forward to because we kind of knew how it was going to go. But now things have changed. Uh, we'll be, it'll be interesting to see how Florida prepares for Tennessee and what that team looks like and, and which Tennessee is going to show up. That's my big question. Which Tennessee team is going to show up for this one? And we'll get into this on the preview, but I just want to say I'm very, very interested to see uh, what this new look defense with with uh, floor, uh, defensive coordinator Austin Armstrong can do against Tennessee. They've looked pretty good through the first two games, showing signs of improvement. Major test coming up this weekend. But that's going to do it for this edition of the College Football Pack. For Tyler, I'm Patrick, and uh, we'll see you on Thursday. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.